Today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by Enclosed. It's the holidays. People are buying gifts. And if you're looking for something different for your significant other, spice things up with some high-end lingerie from Enclosed. This is way better than the department store or Victoria's Secret. These are high-end products. And with the Enclosed size guarantee, the products fit right 98% of the time. If you go to enclosed.com, gifts and use the code TOTALSOCCER at checkout, you get $35 off any multi-month order. One more time, that's enclosed.gifts, G-I-F-T-S, and the code is TOTALSOCCER for $35 off any multi-month order. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's on the very longest of long lists to take over the <laughs> Everton job. Marco Silva was fired on my way in here. I know. Um, his name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. He was very conveniently. Uh, I asked to push back recording today and it ended up working out well because... Were you on a call with the Everton board? Yeah, they said, just yeah. hold off. Yeah. Don't record yet. They knew we were going to record at 1pm. They were like, no, 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 push back a little bit. We've got some news. I should have put it together. I didn't, but here we are. There we are. So we're going to talk uh, Liverpool, mm-hmm. Everton and what happened afterwards to Everton yeah. uh, later on. But let's start with Man United Tottenham. Right. It was Manchester United 2 Tottenham won, mm-hmm. and it was. You, you said you'd had people say to you that, that was the best Man United looked all season. Yes. And I think from, from just from my sort of casual, uh, my casual viewing of mm-hmm. Manchester United, which I do on and off, can't say I watch every game, mm-hmm. but I'll watch when I feel like it. Yep. It's my prerogative. That's um, the way to do it this season. I really enjoyed this game and just enjoyed watching a, a good Man United performance. So I did not watch this game live because uh, my wife was becoming officially a lawyer. She raised her hand and said yes and everything like that. Is that so what you have to do? I could do that. She, Yeah, after a very lengthy multi, multi-hour process, she put her hand in the air and said, like, I will. Yeah. And that was it. She's a lawyer <laughs> now. Uh, so, but when you just I, have to get through that sitting. Yeah, you? that's yeah. it. That was the final test is can you <laughs> sit through a three-hour thing when people just read dry speeches at you? She did. So here we are. Um but then I went, uh, like, so I missed the game live. I went to my indoor game that night. There's a few Man United fans uh, on that team, and they were very excited about it. And, mm. and it was sort of like, wait, wait, like, it's current era, right? Like, I haven't fallen to a time hole or anything like that. <laughs> we're talking about the current iteration of Manchester United. But by all accounts, it was a very exciting team. I went back and watched uh, with that in mind, and I agree. It was okay. the best they've looked this season. So let's do our Total Soccer Show thing. Mm. Uh, we both had a good look at this game. We've got some analysis. What did we see from Manchester United? that we were impressed with. Maybe let's just go back and forth and we'll kind of list out the things we were impressed with about Manchester United Mm -hmm. and their 2-1 win over Spurs. Um, Movement was a big one. And not just Daniel James being very fast down the wing, Aaron Wan-Bissaka being good down the wing. It was a lot of movement off the ball to open up space. And you contrast that with what we saw this past weekend against uh, Aston Villa. It was a lot of of stagnant uh, attacks, a lot of players kind of standing at the top of the box, standing 12 yards from goal, not really moving in this game. There was so much more off-the-ball movement that I think it really caused a lot of problems for Spurs. I've got a specific example for you again. The very first goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, The very first goal, that Marcus Rashford goal. You might be looking at it thinking, why is Marcus Rashford completely unmarked? Mm -hmm. Why is no one picking him up? I think it's because of that movement you talked about, right? You have Mason Greenwood is the centre forward. Jesse Lingard is supposed to be behind him. 
I'm pretty confident Greenwood drifted to the left. Serge Aurier picked him up. Then Greenwood and Lingard kind of switched as Fred played the ball forward. And then uh, Marcus Rashford was just hanging around. While Aurier's distracted, mm-hmm. Marcus Rashford makes his sort of diagonal run yep. towards the box. So when Sanchez tackles Lingard, the ball pops up. Rashford's completely unmarked and able to do his Marcus Rashford reverse Iron Robin thing. Uh, all of that is accurate. Listeners, my favorite part of that entire explanation was when Daryl very excitedly remembered that it was Jesse Lingard and gave me the point of like, I remembered it was Jesse Lingard. Well, here's the thing. I've heard of a lot of Manchester United fans. It is easy to forget him this season. Well, yeah, well. people have complained about like him not being um, up to standard. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that he does really well is understand space and movement. And I think Mason Greenwood, I'm getting a feel for the type of player Mason Greenwood is because this is his first Premier League start this season, right? We haven't seen... Uh, that much of him, his minutes aren't aren't mm-hmm. lengthy, right? So there's only so much Greenwood footage out there. But I think I see a young player who understands how to move, how to create space for himself, how to confuse opponents, um, and none more so than Serge Aurier, who yeah. literally didn't know where Marcus Rashford was. And he's the right back and Rashford's the left winger. He should know where he is. I mean, I feel bad for Serge Aurier and Tottenham fans because Serge Aurier really is a player who like occasionally seems lights out and like, okay, he maybe is going to be good. And then yeah. he does something very foolish. Mm-hmm. And here we saw that again where he just kind of switches off. And then even for the, the second goal, the penalty, again, not really in the best of positioning to, to help out, which is mm-hmm. why Sissoko has to dive Close in. Close your legs. Yeah. Close your always, legs. Always Serge. good advice. Yeah, so I think we both agree then the, um, the mm-hmm. movement of, I would say especially Lingard, yeah. Greenwood and Rashford. Danny James tended to just stay on the mm. right. I mean, he was the one that didn't move around so much. Yeah. They were in and out and in and out like a West Coast burger joint. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> um, this doesn't quite fit into what United did well, but I do think in terms of the narrative of the game, it's a bit simplistic, but it kind of makes sense to me. Dele Ali afterwards said, like, we were we were on our heels in the first 20 minutes. We didn't really like come out ready for it. Jose Mourinho said the same, that we didn't have the same fight they did in the first 20 minutes. And I do wonder if, if like the Spurs players looked at that game uh, at the weekend against Villa, saw the lack of movement, saw United not really able to do that much, saw their current run of form, and were like, oh, we got this. Like, so you we're think gonna it was come a, um, a reverse, lads, it's Man United? A little moment. bit. A little bit. I do think so. And and maybe that explains why Spurs look a little many, bit. How many TSS listeners get that reference? It's a couple, I would a hope. Couple. I'm going to say 50%. I feel like I've told that story like four times and you've yeah, done the same. So <laughs> in terms of us repeating it, I hope somebody gets it. Maybe Roy Keane is out there nodding approvingly, yeah. except he would never nod no, approvingly. No, he's shaking his head at He would just stare slightly less angrily <laughs> is what I'm imagining. But it, it did seem like the movement and sort of the intensity of a lot of players from Manchester United threw Spurs off, but yeah. also the intentionality of United's play. Another one that we both uh, talked a little bit about off air, uh, and I'll throw to you, was like the way Fred played this game was yes. very different than the way I've seen Fred play games previously. This is the first time I've been impressed with, impressed with Fred. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was a Fred hater, mm-hmm. but I was a Fred doubter. Yeah, that's or, fair. Fredge, as I believe it's supposed to be called. <laughs> yeah. I was a Fred doubter this is the first time a frouder not a freighter there we go yeah Um, so this game i saw him what he's paired with mctominay Mm -hmm. so he's they're the two in a 4-2-3-1 it seemed like when man united attacked mctominay would be the stay home and fred would go and join the attack a little more Mm -hmm. but in the build-up fred was constantly moving 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 always looking for a pass into his feet from maguire or Lindelof. Mm-hmm. He was the one finding space, even though Kane and Deli Ali were trying to block off passes into Fred, he found the ball. But what the more important thing is when he got the ball in those like, defensive midfield areas, mm-hmm. he would play it forward every single time he would look to play the ball forward. And I'll bet statistically, I'll bet he had a horrible game. Probably. I haven't looked, but his pass completion rate must have been really, really low. Mm-hmm. But... When it when it hit, it really hit. Because there's a lot of forward direct passes uh, from Fred yeah. that m- made Tottenham panic a little bit. Even, I believe the ball to Lingard, where Sanchez tackles, then Rashford gets it. 
that's a Fred pass, right? And it's mm-hmm. not a perfect pass because Sanchez can get to it, but it's a forward Fred pass. Freddie forward is what I, I call him now. I found myself, I'm sure Fred will not love being compared to my dog, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway because there are moments when like my dog will, like it knows it's not supposed to do a thing and it sort of starts going towards it, but then it will stop and like give me that look like, I know I'm not supposed to do this and I really want to, and you can see the effort and then it will walk away. And you could see that with Fred in this game of like, I really want to play this ball backwards. I really want to play it square. Because that's what he normally does, But right? I'm going to turn and play it forward. Yeah. Like, you, like there genuinely was a moment when I saw him like, hesitate on the ball he lifted his foot like he was going to pass it back and then was like no I'm not supposed to and then turned and played it forward and I was just like yay that's a thing we haven't seen and it, but it worked right because yeah. so Man United didn't press Spurs mm-hmm. they kind of stood off a little bit and like prevented yeah. passes into Winks and Sissoko mm-hmm. uh, but when they played the ball forward from Fred if it didn't quite get there then they would I guess counter press mm-hmm. is the word right they would try and win it back yeah. even if the pass wasn't quite right so I think it happened enough that I would I would guess it was the game plan yeah. for Fred to play risky balls forward and just hope for the best. Yeah, and, and to try stuff. That makes it sound very imprecise, but uh, risky balls forward and just assume that that will cause enough danger um, to, to put Spurs on their heels. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, a lot of what we're talking about is sort of United uh, maybe making smaller adjustments, but then simultaneously doing like little things that they haven't done as much this season. And I think if you're going up against a team that are expecting you to do a certain thing yeah. and then you change it up on them, it has uh, effects. And especially if you score as early as Manchester United did, then you've got kind of Spurs on their heels. They've got to try to fight their way back in. They can no longer play the exact game plan they wanted. Now they've got to adjust, and then United can kind of keep doing what they want and grow into it a bit more. And I think that was kind of the case overall, that even though it finishes 2-1, to I think I was fully expecting Tottenham to equalize, and I was fully expecting to be furious about it because that's a thing that has happened a lot this season. That it didn't was, uh, I would say, a positive sign because I felt like United deserved the three points in that one. Well, I want to talk about um, uh, the Spurs goal, the Mm -hmm. equalizer (laughs) from Dele Alli. It was weirdly an example of Manchester United doing something right, but then Dele Alli just being Mm -hmm. that special kind of player, right? Mm Because I looked in the build-up to this, there's a moment where like Harry Kane has the ball in the box, and I can't remember who the players are, but United have two people defend him, right? So Harry Kane can't do Mm -hmm. that thing he does where he just takes... One touch, bit of separation, then bends it into the far post. You know, he's very good at doing that if he's only got one defender in front of him. Um, they, they had, like, I think a centre-back and McTominay just mm-hmm. blocking his path, right? Yep. So then he, I think it, the ball ends up with Son, who tries to dribble through you the box. Mm-hmm. United have defender after defender in front of him, so he can't quite get there. I want to jump in real fast to say I totally agree with you, and that is a, a change as well. That, like, Son got past one person, there's another defender. Got past him, there's another defender, and eventually he has to cut it back. Yeah. But you're right that the numbers in the box that were actually useful, as opposed to, like, we've got bodies in the box, that should do it yeah. instead of in this case it was like we've got bodies in the box but we're actually moving to support our primary defender and then the second defender's there yes. and the third defender's there that all shut that opportunity down because I thought for sure he was going to get through and score and even um, after the De Gea save mm-hmm. uh, when the ball bounces up in the air yep Dele Alli has his back to goal, mm-hmm. and he has Fred mm-hmm. and Ashley Young on him. Manchester United are doing everything right. They've got two players. They've got Dele Alli facing away from goal. And it's only just a moment of absolute genius yep. from Dele Alli that creates that goal. Yes. And I want to take a moment just to recognise the that touch Ali takes where he lifts it essentially over his own head between Young and Fred. He moves his arm in just enough for mm-hmm. it to not be a full handball, right? It just touches him on the shoulder, maybe brushes his shoulder, but he deliberately like mm-hmm. pulls his arm in um, like he's on a roller coaster ride and he's been doing what he's told. Um, and then <laughs> just it shocks everybody and yep. then Deli Ali finishes. He is having an absolute 
uh, renaissance under Jose Mourinho. Yeah, that was that was like I, I initially had a thumbs up, thumbs down format, and I still had thumbs up to the uh, Deli Ali Jose Mourinho bromance. Yes. because have since, you and Ryan talked about this already? Yes. Oh, okay. Deli Ali coming back in has been, uh, or Jose Mourinho coming in has meant Deli Ali has been moved to the number ten spot yes. in the four two three one, a position that he seems to very much enjoy and yes. thrive in, and that's that has directly corresponded with him scoring goals, being involved in attacks, creating yep. goals, and in this case, creating something out of pretty much literally nothing. He's the perfect Jose Mourinho. Yep. Number ten. Mm-hmm. This is. I'm stealing this from a zonal marking. Yeah. The new Michael Cox podcast. He talked about how Mourinho loves essentially a nasty number ten. Yeah. That's why he got rid of Juan Mata at Chelsea in his second spell and had Oscar play there because Oscar would tackle someone. Mm-hmm. Delielli's that guy. Yeah. Right. He's like got. He's got the creativity and the goal scoring of a number ten, but the nastiness of a more. Uh, a more two-way-ish midfielder. I want to talk more about like what Jose Mourinho has done both for Dele Alli and the Tottenham squad, but I want to stick with this goal for a moment because I don't want to take away from how amazing it was. Because like like a, a, a small point of difference is like you said he lifts it up in the air. I know exactly what you mean, but if people haven't seen this, I just is want to make clear. Is it not quite as high as I that, remember it? Well, no, it's that he like he takes it first time out of the air, right? It's the it's the same oh, yes. straight up in the air, and it's the first touch. So it's not even like he lifts it off the ground or anything like that. Again, this is just for people who haven't seen it, but the ability... It's to, a 180 with one touch, right? Yeah, out but like air. out of it, with it coming down out of the air, like everything about it shouldn't have been possible, and somehow it was. Mm-hmm. And then to still, first of all, clearly intentional because he's then set himself up to be able to shoot with his second touch, but to then know where he is in relation to David De Gea so that he finishes it like perfectly side netting and yep. almost hangs off the bar. It's, it is amazing awareness and like spatial awareness, spatial presence, all those things in, in what, maybe three seconds, two seconds, something yeah, like that. It's incredible. I do. I will say, I do understand why there were some people saying that it should have come back for VAR. I'm really glad it didn't, but I, only because it does hit his hand or hit his like arm, shoulder yeah. area. And we have seen this season the way they've called VAR is that if any attacker in any way touches it with their hand or their yeah. arm, it gets chalked off immediately. Well, VAR took a look at it, right? right? Mm-hmm. And I, from what I can tell, they determined that it hit his shoulder, yeah. which you can use your shoulder. There we go. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, so there you go. I, I'm hoping that's the case. But like, I just saw so many... I've, I've heard and seen so many v- people VAR, writing in. VAR debates are for Mondays. I'm yeah. not getting into it. No, no, no. That's not the VAR debate <laughs> I want to have. I, what, what I mean more so, this is a minor thing. It's just I've heard people being like, how could you say that was a handball? That's so stupid. And I've and seen people write. Like, there's no way it was a handball. People are calling for that or, are idiots. And and to me, that's forgetting the fact that that's kind of how like it has been very strictly enforced when it comes to attacking yeah. players' handling. So yeah, I get where some of that questioning was coming from, but I do wonder if it was maybe with literally like red colored glasses. Yeah, we're wondering that one because I mean, or people who don't know that you can use your shoulder. There we go. Yeah. Yes. Um, the one the one mm-hmm. downside of this Deli Ali as a number ten thing for me is he can't do it for England. Oh, yeah. Because we don't play that shape. Mm-hmm. England play a 4-3-3, so we'd have to be either a wide midfielder, which is you know kind of good at, but not this magnificent number ten at. Mm-hmm. Or he's got to be one of the two number eights, which again, still not that perfect position. So we're going to have one of these problems for England where Deli Ali's best position doesn't exist within the Southgate setup. That is very interesting. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that that is a, a question for another day, a problem for mm-hmm. another day. But we would both agree that Jose Mourinho has, I think, integrated uh, Deli Ali back into the position he wants to be within the squad, and it has worked very well. Another thing that has been sort of a hallmark of Spurs with Jose Mourinho uh, taking over has been a lot of verticality of passes. Yes. That it's either it's like quick to play the ball upfield, like pass to pass to pass to pass, and then yep. you're in the attacking third. Or direct, right? Just like a Kane flick on for Deli Ali, yeah. or a Kane or an Ali flick on for Son. Um, I don't know if you 
still going the same place that, that the I was directness going. was go ahead go ahead I'm sorry go ahead the, one of the things that impressed me about Man United is that they were ready for it I was going there you were going there <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry no, 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 no 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 not at all it's fine but that that was another thing that stood out to me was that I think they had game planned for Tottenham have the pace in Son Heung Min. We don't want him in a one v one scenario. Yep. Harry Kane. But we've got an Aaron Wan Bissaka. So we do, okay. right? And Harry Kane doesn't have like the most pace, but he has enough to be Neither able to cause problems. Maguire, right? So fair. right, and he can, <laughs> but he can also flick on into the path. That was of a Son. battle of the slow Harrys. It really was. <laughs> I think I'd back the Harry. slow but talented Harrys. I think I'd back Harry Maguire only because Harry in a Kane, very slow race. If they're in a race, Harry Kane probably <laughs> has the ball, and I think that's going to be enough to slow him down yeah. a bit more. But Lucas Moura, Son Heung Min, Son Heung Min, that's a tough one to say fast. Both very quick off the ball can cause you problems if you're playing a high line and you're not ready for it. So I did feel like they sort of swarmed Harry Kane when they needed to so he didn't have the knockdown flick on opportunities they yeah. kind of front front and backed him but then they made sure to not be they McNulted him I believe is there the we phrase. go yeah front and follow thank yeah. you I apologize. <laughs> but then, yeah, to your earlier point about like pressing, they didn't really give Spurs the time to pick out those those big driven balls over the top, those big driven balls into the channel. It was more of a, like, oh, I've got somebody running at me, so I've just got to hope that it gets in that direction. Yeah, there was but never if you're a hoping really versus aiming, yeah. accurate Alvarado, Vertonghen, or go. Sanchez ball. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other guy I want to talk about is Marcus Rashford, because he wins the penalty and mm-hmm. scores the penalty that is ultimately um, the match winner. And he embarrasses Sergio Yep. Nutmegs him, puts it between his legs. Then he accelerates away from Sissoko and uh, draws the foul mm-hmm. for the penalty. And my, my analysis slash argument <laughs> is that he does it by using his reputation as someone who likes to dribble infield. Because okay. if, if you think of it, he's on the left wing. He fakes like he's going infield on Sergio Aurier. That Aurier takes a step that way. That's what opens up those legs. That's when Rashford pops the ball between his legs mm-hmm. and goes to the outside down the line after popping it between his legs. Then he's facing Sissoko as he's getting towards the box. He faints. There's a little faint like he's going inside like Rashford likes to do to step inside and shoot like he did for the first mm-hmm. goal. Sissoko bites and then he accelerates down the outside. And that's how he gets like a yard, half a yard on Sissoko. And that's why as he's turning the corner right at the end, Sissoko has to, or doesn't have to, but is, is tricked into fouling him essentially. Genuinely a fascinating idea because what I've heard, like I listen to Football Weekly, they've already reviewed this game and they were talking. I won't give them the downloads. That's fair. I'm joking. Uh, joking. But they they were talking about, like, what is Sissoko doing there? Like, oh, like, what a foolish mistake. He's been so good. Why would you make such a a silly mistake? And I appreciate that you, Daryl, have thought about that a bit more and and looked at, well, why did he end up having to foul? Because Rashford's a right footed player on the left wing who loves to take a touch inside and shoot, right? He Mm -hmm. did it multiple times during this game. But then if you are shaping up to defend that and you're expecting, like, haha, I know what you're going to do, you're going to inside and then suddenly the player doesn't do that and now they're getting to the end line maybe they're going to cross that ball and maybe they're going to be able to like take a touch around you and then they're going to get a shot off then you've just got to go for the last ditch like oh shoot I've got to try to make a play yeah. and in lunging in to try to make a play he steps on Rashford's foot down goes Rashford penalty given there we Good go analysis Mr. Grove All right. I like it I would also say the re- this is an example where the so replay you keep me on the payroll right? that's it that's the only reason uh, <laughs> um, but I, I also think that this is the sort of sequence in which like replay helps and also hurts because you you can see in the like ultra slow-mo replay that there's a step step on Rashford's foot it stops him from running and that's why he goes down yeah but because it's slow motion, it doesn't seem like it should cause – it's one of those things where, like, there's a step and then there's not. And so you're like, oh, yeah, he stepped on him briefly, but he should still be able to run. But we both know if you're running at full speed oh, and yeah. there's a step, you're going down. Mm-hmm. But when it's slow motion, it looks like, oh, he got, like, a little tiny touch and that's it. And so it's a weird, like, yes, he steps on him. Yeah. But also, did he have was, to? And the answer is yes. Plenty. It mm-hmm. was plenty for a penalty. I think so. Uh, I'm all out of bullet points. Have you got anything else that you noticed, like, analytically from this game that you yeah, want to uh, share with our listeners? I had thumbs up to Jose Mourinho for finally getting United three points at home. Oh. <laughs> is that is that useful? Too is that soon. useful? Too soon. Um, I'm, I need to. My I went 
I let my computer die, so now I have to uh, open back up the document to make sure I don't have anything else. I do. I have one more thing. Uh, I'm going to say thumbs down to uh, near post narratives. I've stuck with the thumbs for this one. Okay. Um, I was talking with our, our friend Seth, who plays on our Richmond City yeah. team, and he was saying, like, I've never really, like, gotten into that idea of be- being beaten near post. And he was – I think we were talking about how there have been, like, studies in the rec- in modern era that – Did you mean goalkeepers being beaten yes, in the near post? and how it's, like, really with, like, players being able to place the ball wherever they can and, like, attackers being in the box at all times sort of it's more common to be beaten at the near post because you have so many things to be aware of, aware of as a goalkeeper. Yeah. And so I totally buy into that. I just appreciated that in the moment, the referee for the game who happened to be standing near us, like while the game was happening, turned and said, but didn't he get a hand to it? Like he should have done better, right? And I was like, again, I haven't seen this game, but I appreciate that everyone's having a dialogue <laughs> about this. But so I think like Gazaniga... Uh, maybe sh- could have done better, but I don't think it's just because he gets beat at the near post that it was bad. I think it's the fact that he gets an actual hand to it that it's probably yeah. l- harder to defend if you're a Gazaniga fan. So there's also, and if you saw this, but this morning Rashford was tweeting that he'd no. been told that the goal had been taken away from him because it was theoretically or technically off target because it was hitting the post before Gazaniga got the touch to it and deflected it in. So I think it's going to go down as an own goal Selfish. for the goalkeeper. Selfish right there. <laughs> Trying to deny Marcus Rashford's statistics. <laughs> um, oh, I also want to briefly just quickly talk about um, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Do you know about this? I did. In England, mm-hmm. our listeners may not know, in England, People this, were mad. this round of games <laughs> was broadcast on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime in the UK. And then also the Boxing Day fixtures will be broadcast on Amazon Prime. So you have to be a subscriber mm-hmm. um, to see it. It's like a new package that the Premier League was selling uh, domestically. It now means that if you're in the UK, the Premier League is spread across, across Sky mm-hmm. Sports, BT Sports, which is a separate subscription, £30 a month just for BT Sports, yep. um, and now also Amazon Prime. So it's three different subscriptions you would need if you wanted to watch Premier League games in the UK. And that also excludes all the Saturday 3pm kickoffs because they legally can't be broadcast. Right. So it just made me realize that um, because... Because the Premier League is less valuable in the US than in the UK, we get, actually get a really good deal. Oh, yeah. You just subscribe to NBC Sports. Uh, I do it through Fubo TV, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and then you pay, what, $65 for a year, a whole year, for NBC Sports Gold for all the other games. Yep. It's pretty good right now. We should almost hope that Premier League doesn't get more popular so that advertising doesn't become more valuable. And then, and then it ends up that they can charge more to, uh, to, to take it. Could it get more popular? I guess in the United States yeah, it could. definitely. Um, the, I mean, there's 330 million people and they're not all watching it. The, the other thing to <laughs> double down on what you're talking about is the like you're looking at it from an individual standpoint. I saw one story about like bar owners, for example. You have to pay more to be able to broadcast yes, a game. And so I think it was like 600 pounds to broadcast games yesterday or something like that. But if you're a bar owner who's already paid out to broadcast yep. all these other games and now it's another thing that you have to pay for, mm-hmm. it hurts you that much more as well. Especially yeah. if you're like a small pub that wants to show your local team. Yep, margins are tight, much right? harder. Mm-hmm. Margins are tight. I did hear one good thing, though. They had an option on the Amazon uh, streaming to remove the commentary but keep the crowd noise. The thing I've always wanted, yeah. That sounds magical. It does sound magical, right? I think it's hard to do that with the TV, right? I don't think with a cable box and TV, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure you can do that. But streaming, it seems there's a way to do that. I I didn't get to see this because I was flying back to the US. Um, But I I would enjoy watching games like that. 
Unless Arlo White is on there, in which case, never mute Arlo White. Never mute Arlo Even Ted Lasso knows that Arlo White is is a gem of a broadcaster. (laughs) All right, we've got one more Premier League game to talk about. It's the Merseyside Derby. Mm -hmm. But first, Taylor, um, let's keep things trim because today's show (laughs) is sponsored by Manscaped, number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. That's right. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Specifically, they're referencing the Lawnmower 2.0 which has proprietary skin-safe technology, so there's no nicking, no snagging, no unsightly patches oh, being yeah. taken out. I'm still going with the like the field analogy or the mm-hmm. pitch analogy of, like, you don't want it all torn up and all over the place and erratically... Smooth lines. Yeah, right. You want smooth everything lines. smooth and easy. However you want it. You yeah. can do a series of straight lines. <laughs> yeah. You can do the concentric circles. You can do, a, like, a series of tri- interlocking triangles. <laughs> oh, my God. Depends how much time you've got. It really does, but I, I I do appreciate. I, I assume that is how ground, groundskeepers would use the man, the oh, lawnmower yeah. 2.0. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Absolutely. You've got to do, like, do you have, like, a specific Champions League one for Champions League <laughs> days? I don't really know how it all works, but that's what I hope they do. And if you want to try, I guess you could, and you could get the, uh, the lawnmower 2.0 to help you out. And we've been looking for new copy points uh-huh. for talking about Manscaped and the lawnmower 2.0. Yeah. Turns out all we had to do was go to manscaped.com uh-huh. and they had all kinds of fresh information mm-hmm. about the lawnmower 2.0 for example um, I didn't know that it had a rechargeable battery that was good for an hour I believe it's good for 60 minutes off of one charge so Thank you can you. use it 60 minutes You're, uninterrupted which like my memory, not, my memory failed me I, it's all good I'm with you buddy uh, that's why I get paid the big bucks by <laughs> you uh, <laughs> but yeah it's like which might not sound that much when you're talking about like well I ch- charged my iPhone and now it's good all day but when you're using a battery operated thing around uh, your most precious of areas mm-hmm. you want it to be well charged and hold that charge but if you're grooming for longer than an hour then you are a very meticulous groundskeeper you're a groundsman yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> I mean it might take that long for the concentric circles one. Uh, it might yeah. well could. The other thing that uh, I learned from their website, which I did appreciate, is that they are working with the uh, Testicular Cancer Society to yeah. raise awareness about the most common uh, form of cancer for men age 15 to 35. So they're helping provide support uh, to fighters, survivors, caregivers. But the biggest thing is their mission is to create an open and empowered male culture that results in more proacti- proactivity excuse me, uh, around self-care and health. And I think that is totally true, that like, yep. those go hand in hand, that taking better care of uh, your downstairs parts can also mean literally checking your downstairs parts to make sure that nothing uh, untoward is happening. Yep. Only the lumps that you expect should be there, right? (laughs) So that's important. But also important is that you can get 20% off. That's outstanding. Plus free shipping Mm -hmm. at manscaped.com if you use the discount code Mm -hmm. TSS. That's That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the discount code TSS. So thank you very much Checking yourself is free. Checking yourself is free. That is true. Thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Daryl, let's move to the Merseyside Derby, shall we? Oh, yeah. Let's Mm. do it. Unless you're an Everton fan, you probably don't want to relive this Merseyside Derby. Probably not. Because here's my read on this game. Liverpool put out almost an EFL Cup team. It was a slightly it was a rotated team, right? The first Jordan Shakiri appearance in a very long time. Maybe yeah. this season he's been out with injury. I only know that because I was reading about uh Switzerland's World Cup qualifying and how they've yeah. kind of unimpressed because he has not been involved at all. Yep. So to see him come out and be very much involved mm-hmm. was a welcome sight if you were a Liverpool or Switzerland fan or a fan of goals. Maybe less so if you're an Everton fan. Yep, so Divock Origi's in mm-hmm. there, Jordan Shakiri's in there, uh, James Milner's getting a start. There's no what? Jordan Henderson, no Firmino, no Mohamed Salah. None of those guys started. Uh, and I believe Gigi Wijnaldum was playing the Fabinho role, who also did not start. Yes. So yeah, you had a lot, a lot of uh, changes up in there. And yet, Liverpool 5 
Everton two. Mm-hmm. Liverpool scored as many goals as Everton started the game with defenders. Because yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of start with that. Everton played yeah. um, under Marco Silva, mm-hmm. now former Everton manager. Yep. Started in a 5-4-1, which you would think would be a let's sit back and absorb pressure and counter-attack um, cautiously and selectively mm-hmm. kind of shape. But I think the big mistake in this game is they played the 5-4-1 and then counter-attacked way too aggressively, mm-hmm. opened up a big gap between midfield and defence, left giant holes, and Sadio Mane twice, the first yep. two goals, received the ball on the left. There was a massive uh, gap in midfield, which, uh, what, first uh, Origi ran through and in behind, then second goal Shakiri mm-hmm. uh, ran in and in behind. You even saw a close-up afterwards of uh, Michael Keane talking to his teammates and you could see him mouthing the word gap and like doing yeah. the, the international gesture for mm-hmm. gap yeah yeah because what no, the... no Everton players should ride the tube this week no because they so cannot they do not know how to mind the gap well done sir well done um, but yeah to your point like the Sergio Mane's goal that he scores is I think it's either off an Everton corner or it's an Everton free, like set piece that basically it's just a quick counter from Liverpool but again Everton have way too many numbers committed forward mm-hmm. to deal with what we know is going to be a very rapid attacking machine uh, in the form of Liverpool yeah, and even it, when it's made of spare parts <laughs> right, right and even even for I can't remember if it was the Origi or Shakiri goal but that's another one where it comes from like Everton having a really good shooting opportunity it doesn't quite come off and then Liverpool just come right back down and score like that's how ruthless of an attacking machine that squad is so you're right you should know better this did feel like Marco Silva sort of just trying something to hope that something happened yeah. but I thought when I saw the lineup I mm-hmm. thought alright five four one. they're going to sit back they're yep. not going to let themselves get stretched out and instead mm-hmm. they got a central midfield of Tom Davies and Gilfie Sigurdsson mm-hmm. and one of those is not a very defensive player no. and you just you're going to get stretched out if you if you stretch yourself out, I guess. Yeah. 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 And the other one took an elbow <laughs> is that, from is that a tautology. I was with it. I was with it. The other one gets an elbow from uh, Andy Robertson early on and gets all mad about it. And mm. that maybe that was a little bit intentional from Andy Robertson. Yeah. Uh, the one other thing I would note about the Liverpool lineup is we keep talking about all the changes they made, and it was a lot of uh, EFL Cup players. Yeah. That back four though. Pretty consistent. Uh, Dejan Lovren, Virgil yes. van Dijk, uh, Robertson, Alexander Arnold on either side. I don't know who is. So I agree with three of the four. Who is the first choice partner? For Van Dyke. I mean that 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 is a Matisse, fair question. Lovren mm-hmm. or Joe Gomez, like they're all equally impressive, right? Yeah, but but I guess that's my point more. So it's like it wasn't a like Virgil Van Dyke is out and they've gone with Matip and Gomez or something like yeah. that. Like you still had your and you didn't have a, a replacement right back, replacement left back. Yes. You still went with those sort of key areas, which are key for a reason. Uh, the second goal, it's what like a 40, 50 yard ball from Trent Alexander Arnold across the field to, that, to his credit. Yeah. Sajamani brings down expertly mm-hmm. but still just sort of that type of ball that type of pattern of play I almost wonder if like they have to have those like three to four players in there maybe not yeah. Dijon Lovren but the other three I don't three. think um, I couldn't even tell you who Liverpool's reserve right back is I guess it's Joe Gomez um, to, yeah. who would fill in for Trent Alexander-Arnold only Trent Alexander-Arnold can hit that pass it, it's Trent Alexander-Arnold but like with injections I think it's their backup <laughs> Um, yeah, so so I, I thought that was a pretty like fundamental aspect of this game is that Liverpool still had the consistency of that defense to be able to deal with a lot of what Everton were throwing at them. Yeah. But then even with like new players coming in, I think they were well aware of what was being asked of them and how Jurgen Klopp wanted them to play in this mm-hmm. game, and you could see that in the way they attacked. All right, so instead of going too deep into this game, sure. let's talk about the Marco Silva sacking. Unless okay. you've got anything else you wanted to note from this game. Uh, I will check my notes real fast. I mean, I I would like to take a moment just to talk about Sadio Mane because he has become increasingly unplayable in my mind of the front three of that like Liverpool front three. He was kind of always the the third choice for me. It was it oh, was really? like Mohamed Salah like on his day is is unplayable and yeah. offers you all these things. Firmino is less 
like of a standout forward to me, but the way he links the play, the way he drops in, he creates space. Yeah. He, I really love everything I've seen from him. Firmino's like the analyst's favorite. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, that is definitely true. But Sergio Mane like the, lately. the Busquets of strikers. Well said. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> very well said. Um, but Sergio Mane, especially in this, I mean, lately has been terrific. But in this game, the... The two passes, the ball in for Origi, I, it, it is insane to me. It is one of my favorite passes I've seen goal? this season. Yes, yeah. just just the way he like it cheats on the outside, but he waits it perfectly. It brings it brings Pickford out, but there's no way Pickford is ever getting to it. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. The ball for Shakiri, where he sort of holds it and holds it and dribbles inside and opens up the space, and then just has that little like reverse pass into the path. It's helped by the fact that the ball slowly rolls into the goal in that insulting way. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. But then even his spatial awareness for his goal, which for all the world, it's off. That one's off the. That's off the corner, and it's basically what Trent Alexander Arnold bring the ball on the left side. Jaron Shakiri is wide open on the right, and the entire time. You're thinking, oh, okay, he's going to pull in a defender, he's going to square it to Shakiri. Shakiri's going to get a shot. And then Sajumani just appears in the middle and finishes it expertly first time. He was just so good in this game and missed two very good chances in the second half that could have been more goals. But I just he is a joy to watch and is very fun to watch. And as a Man United fan, it physically hurts me to say that. <laughs> All right, let's talk Everton. Okay. Um, so Marco Silva mm-hmm. has been fired. Duncan Ferguson is interim manager. I don't Weird. imagine he'll be the... Um, the permanent I think coach. David Moyes is the bookie's favorite. David Moyes is the bookie's mm-hmm. favorite. Maybe we'll talk about uh, who we would like to see sure. as Everton manager later. But first, I think I'd like to just try and figure out what has gone wrong and what has been going wrong mm-hmm. um, at Everton this season. We did a bit of reading, a bit of looking. Like uh, the one thing I think I would notice, I mentioned earlier, the central midfield was Tom Davies and Gilfie Sigurdsson, mm-hmm. um, and it made me think: is that is that all they've got? And then when you start looking at the list of injuries, yep. there's a lot of injured central midfielders mm-hmm. that Everton could have done with in this game and games previous. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the biggest one would be uh, they sell Idrissa Ganagay, who ha- kind of provided that midfield steal that we yeah. like they need and I think have been sorely lacking. That's the thing Marco Silva has talked about. But after they sell him, they bring in Jean-Philippe uh, Gabamin. Yep. I'm probably butchering that. I apologize. Uh, from Mainz. He's injured after, what, two games this yep. season? But in those two games, they took four points. That's a better run of form, certainly, than they've seen since Didn't then. Didn't concede a goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. I mean, you can't really draw all that much from two games, but I think the fact is they yeah, had... Yeah, but I will anyway. They had a, like, yeah. a, a heavy-duty defensive midfielder, mm-hmm. and he got injured and hasn't come back for the rest of... Well, so far, the rest of the season, after two games. And mm-hmm. he's not even the only midfielder they're missing, right? You would think uh, Fabian Delph would mm-hmm. have added a bit of bite to, to that midfield. He's been out for... A little while, and I've forgotten who the third central midfielder is who's missing, who's actually really important. Um, I mean, I, are you counting Andre Gomes as a central yes, midfielder? Yes, there okay. we go, yeah, cool. Andre Gomes, mm, yeah. yeah. That's, the less said about his injury, the better, because I don't want to have to think about it that It was anymore. the Sun Hing Moon. It was. Young Min, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, See, it's hard, it's hard to say fast, right? It is when you picture <laughs> what happened. Also that. Yeah. Um, and so, like, looking at this to game quote against... Marlon Brando, the horror, <laughs> the horror. <laughs> Correct. But then to look at this game against Liverpool, the other option would maybe be uh, Morgan Schneiderlin, who's gotten a decent number of games this season. Yeah. But he has never been one who's particularly fleet of foot against that Liverpool counterattacking team who have the technical precision in the middle, but then the pace up front. I don't know if he offers you that much, so it yeah. explains why he doesn't start. But you suddenly see a lot of vulnerabilities in the Everton squad. And it's worth noting that like injuries are part of the season. Every team has to deal with injuries at some point, some worse than others. But I think it also maybe reflects the erratic nature of their recruitment as yeah, well. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because, yeah, you can use injuries as an excuse for mm-hmm. maybe a certain patch of the season. But Everton have been very sort of, I'm going to say, uncoordinated yes. <laughs> for a good few mm-hmm. years now. And I think the best answer we could come up with is the 
multiple directors of football, right? It's been Steve Walsh mm-hmm. since 2016. He was famous for uh, getting in all those Leicester signings like Riyad Mahrez and N'Golo Kante. So he was in charge from 2016. You're saying at Leicester, just to At clarify. Leicester, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in 20, he was fired, essentially, mm-hmm. in 2018, summer 2018, and Marcel Brands yep. uh, comes in from the Netherlands. And it's, but it still seems like even with those two guys in charge, there was no consistent... There were directors of football, but there was no, like, the director of football is setting the course... Right. And the coach is secondary to that. There's definitely been the thing we noticed was it's still the coach would come in and sign someone who's very associated with that coach. Yeah, it was so like Kuman signed David Clarsen, who didn't work out at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and what uh, Marco Silva came in and immediately signed Richarlison, right. who he'd worked with at Watford. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that either Walsh um, or Marcel Brands were like saying this is the type of player we no. want. The coach came in and made their own decision about recruitment. Right? And yeah, and 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 I would. Like sticking with Richarlison for a moment, like that has been a good signing in terms of he's been their their top goal scorer this season. Was a very important player for their attack last season. Like so, we're not we're not even criticizing like and Richarlison was a bust. Why would you sign him? But more so that it speaks to the manager comes in, a player he wants comes in. But that doesn't necessarily work if you have a couple different managers who bring yeah. in a couple different players and then two different directors who are bringing in different players for different styles. You then look at that squad and a lot of the like, why do they have all of these? different playmaking players uh-huh. that don't really seem to gel very much, that question is answered by the kind of erratic nature of their recruitment. You've also got to ask about like how much is the coach on board with the director of football? Right. Because when, say, Moisey Ken came in, I'm not sure that was a Marco Silva signing. I, that looks like a Marcel Brand signing mm-hmm. to me. I read that he's Marcel Brand is friends with, uh, is it Rayola? The, uh, uh, yeah. The agent. Mino Raiola, yeah. Mino Raiola, who is uh, Moise Ken's agent. So that seemed like a thing that the director of football wanted to do. And then sometimes there's a thing that the head coach wants to do. And they almost seem like two different things. There's never a coordinated approach. Which which is fundamentally important because um, I That's think... That's why it's a hodgepodge of players, right? Right. Yeah. But, but like th- that is such a an important thing to keep in mind with this team. Because if you're Marco Silva and you are there last season, you're trying to build to prepare yourself for the next season. And obviously you want to keep growing and finishing further up the table. You start He's to, tall enough. Yeah, true. Uh, but you start to identify – I think you know what I mean. You start to identify the areas of weakness, the areas that you need to strengthen. You strengthen those areas. You get better – ideally, you get better results. That's the way it's supposed to go. But if you're – sort of have identified like we need this one player and then your director of football or what, whatever Marcel Brands is, uh, like signs a player because, oh, Mino Raiola recommends him or I'm going to sign this player because I think he would work really well, it doesn't necessarily solve your problems – and simultaneously gives you more because now you have expensive players that have come in yeah. that you're going to be expected to play, and you've got to find a way to make them fit. Yeah, like I, I like Iwobi. I think Iwobi yeah. is a good player, but did they need to sign Iwobi like close to deadline day when they already had Richarlison, uh, Bernard, and Walcott mm-hmm. as wide attackers? Yeah, and like maybe and Jensen can soon as well. I think if you well. didn't say his name already, like so, well, he's more of a centre forward. Yeah, so different. I, I just but I look at their. He attack- was like a failed Lukaku replacement, essentially. Yeah. And you look at their attacking options as a result, and like to your point, like did they need all of these? I would say that a lot of those players are very good, and I would happily take at Manchester United, or at least a few of them I would. But I think like they're, they, these are all Premier League players, but you look at their, their form this season, Calvert-Lewin, uh, three goals in 13 appearances. I'll just do the goals. Jenks will soon one goal, uh, Walcott, Keane. Uh, Moise Ken, excuse me, not Michael Keane. Uh, Moise Ken, zero goals. Awobi, one goal. Bernard, two goals. That's seven goals from 60 appearances from your like most creative attacking players. Richarlison is the only one who's scored more than that with five. But yep. like, I, it's, it can't just be that, like, oh, those players are suddenly all bad or suddenly can't find the back of the net. It's never a suddenly all of these things happen at once. It has to be more of a... 
like Marco Silva ha- now has these attacking options. He doesn't know who fits the best where, but he still feels that pressure to play a certain player because they've been brought in or because they cost a lot of money. And it doesn't end up with the consistency you need, especially at this point of the season, to find a string of results. So at this point of the season, Everton are in the relegation zone. Yep. Um, who do we think... Not who do we think will be the replacement? Because it does look like David Moyes yep. at this point. Who would you like to see in charge of Everton? Like, what would be? A, do you have an answer? What would be a good replacement? Well, I, I don't know how serious this was, but I briefly saw Diego Simeone mm-hmm. mentioned, and I think at the very least, Diego Simeone, if he came in, that would be a very um, specific style of play mm-hmm. and a style of play that is designed for a team to punch above its weight. Yeah. And I feel like that would be a good fit for Everton. I'm not sure if it's a lateral move or a slight downward move to go from Atletico Madrid to Everton. I think the way they've been spending it's probably a downward move. Right, right. But there is a thing of everybody wants to go in the Premier League, right? Yeah. So I could see Diego Simeone well, being interested in giving it a go. Since but then probably, does, does he clash with Marcel Brands yeah. and with what they're trying to do? Or should they just give up on directors of football because they don't seem to actually uh, they don't seem to actually buy into it all that much? I think, or you could just buy into it entirely, which would be yes. the other alternative if you actually uh, well, trust then you, Brand. Then you let Marcel Brand uh, choose the coach. This is true. Yeah. And if he were choosing... Uh, or if he is choosing, as we said, he'll probably choose David Moyes. And so I'm just going to say, like, that's the realistic one. I'm going to go with a completely unrealistic Wait, one. Why, because why would Brand choose uh, David Moyes? Just because it's the it's the realistic one. I'm I'm what I'm trying to say is more so that like my answer, same as yours with Simeone, I, I would say is like it seems very unlikely to me that that would happen. But Simeone is a good shout for like going into Everton, a team that want to finish higher than they have been, have the talent, have the money to spend, but maybe just need that extra push, that extra steal. He fits very well for me. Uh, so too does David Wagner, which is my answer. The David Wagner who has the Premier League experience, he wouldn't leave Schalke. That's what I'm saying. No, he said he just landed. That's right? what I'm saying. It's like a very unrealistic hire. Mm-hmm. But that's one who I think would fit perfectly in that see what he's done with the Schalke team who have a bit of talent. He's gotten them second, third in the Bundesliga right now. Yeah. Like Third, according to uh, your interview with Manuel Vest. Thank you. Yeah. Couldn't remember. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like with the Premier League experience combined with that ability with like better players than he certainly ever had at Huddersfield, maybe he's one who could come in and get results. But again, I don't think that's likely. I think what is more likely is maybe someone like David Moyes on like an interim basis. They do the thing of like, we'll see how we do for the rest of the season. Yeah. And I think the reason why I say that to me is more realistic is because – a lot of the narrative near the end of Marco Silva's time with Everton, but also from Marco Silva himself, was like, this team lacks steel. We lack like resolve to fight back from a losing position. We don't have the discipline we need. We don't have a lot of the fight I would like to see. That seems to be what David Moyes would absolutely bring into Everton because he's done that before. He got those teams to punch above their weight and fight very hard. So I feel like if that's what they want, David Moyes makes sense. Plus he already knows the area. Plus he already knows the area. <laughs> Maybe still I, has a house there. I never really know how that stuff works. I, I mean, if I was a manager who moved around a lot, yeah. I definitely would have a real estate empire. Or, or, right? I'd keep my house in each place and just... Would uh, you go that way? Or would at you the go very the, least, just to like build up a portfolio of real estate. If you're getting paid that much, you might as well put it in bricks and mortar. Right? I was going to ask, or would you go with the like Jose Mourinho route of just always living in hotels? But then I've lived out, in hotels. It? It's terrible. It's terrible, do yeah. That. It didn't suit Mourinho either. It seems like it would be a great idea. It's not. It's living for, in hotels I bet it's no good fun. for a week, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's plenty. It's yes. nice that someone tidies your room and all mm-hmm. that, but yeah, it, yeah, it it feels very um, isolating, I would imagine. Yes, I think so. I, I and also you're just like never in your own space, and you don't really have any space to spread out. Yeah. I, I, they do have more money than I do. I'm sure Jose Mourinho has a fairly nice hotel room. Yeah, he's not the Holiday Inn. In terms of semi, <laughs> no, he's not a semi realistic, but still slightly unrealistic. The other one, which I think has been mentioned, I'm not breaking any new ground here, is Rafa Benitez. That that does yeah. feel like a, a again had success at Newcastle with a very, very shoestring budget and having to find bargains and make things work the best he could. Give him a bit more money at Everton. 
it's a bit more high profile as well, I would say. And maybe that would work well, out well. Is, is the play just to um, sort of stabilize things quickly, have an organized defense, and get through this season? Yeah, so I think so. I'm not sure if Benitez is like long term the the, uh, the success for Everton, or maybe he is. Maybe you have like a um, a like a, a premium version of what he did at Newcastle, where he's allowed to spend money and build a Benitez team. Yes, right? I just realized. Actually, I like this. I think this could work. Here's the thing: I just realized, like. It's been so long because he's managed Newcastle and Chelsea, but I forget about the Liverpool connection. So, yeah, that seems – then. The, I guess the question is how loyal is he to Liverpool if he were offered that job? Now I really want them to offer that job. I mean, he happens. may want to go back to Merseyside, right? Maybe. You get to live in that, live in that city again. And there is, there's not the, the weird hatred that you get between a lot of teams with Liverpool and Everton. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, a lot it's, of players have gone back and forth like Peter Beardsley. Yeah, no, I'm just – I'm laughing at like the the old joke about like the worst thing your arch enemy can say to you is like, we're arch enemies? <laughs> like, like, and I feel like maybe it's a little bit of that between Everton and Liverpool right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> I also think uh, Rafa Benitez is being paid like like in literal truckloads of money. Like I'm assuming that's how they're paying him in China. So I don't – I, I believe that. he's in China, yes. Or at least wow. he was at, at uh, when he left Newcastle. So – that would also be slightly difficult to get him out of there, I think, just from a monetary standpoint. Maybe not from a gameplay standpoint. Okay, by the mm-hmm. time this publishes, we may know um, who the new coach is. We may well. um, in the meantime, we'll see how Duncan Ferguson does. I'm fascinated to see to see what he does there. I'm fascinated to see what happens uh, this January when we go to the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Are mm. you fascinated for that, my friend? I am. I mean, I'll be going. Right? <laughs> yeah. So the dates are, what, January 15th mm-hmm. to January 20th. It's in Baltimore. It is. United Soccer Coaches Convention. There'll be all kinds of sessions put on. Um, do, you, do you have any top of your head the things that we're going to go and see? I there's mean, like a La Liga in, uh, building out of the back. That's one uh, uh, session. In terms of sessions, I'd like to see. There's uh, there's a couple of different ones from different Red Bull academy directors or academy coaches. But oh, like, I that. but they're like like how to use overlapping fullbacks versus like how to overload the middle. Like there's a bunch of different ones from different Red Bulls coaches. That would be fascinating, especially with the conversation I had with uh, Manuel about the kind of Red Bull factory and how yeah. appealing that has become to clubs. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind looking at like where that starts. And then in terms of, so you have those kind of coaching sessions. Then you also tend to have one-on-ones with, with different uh, personalities from soccer and different aspects of the game. There's going to be a one-on-one with Jill Ellis. I'm very okay. excited to hear her, uh, give her thoughts on all of the many questions she'll be asked. And hopefully there's some, some probing ones. Uh, and if not, maybe we can find a way to ask her. We'll storm <laughs> the stage and demand she answer things. And the reason we mention this is that we're going to be there, yep. right? We're going to have a Total Soccer Show. We'll once again be on Podcast Row. Mm-hmm. But we've been asked to just let people know yeah. that the United Soccer Coaches Convention is happening. And also, if you're planning to attend, yep. um, prices go up December the 11th. So if you plan to attend, it would be smarter to buy your pass now instead of after December 11th. What's today? The 5th or so? You got it. So you've got about a week until the until the prices go up. You do? Yeah. Indeed. Uh, the Cooligans will be there as well. We'll be there. I'm, I'm assuming there'll be a crossover episode. But you should still go even if the Cooligans are there. You should. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. Just give them like a... A, a, a loving pat on the back and say like you guys are great and then move on That's no, if you, you see the Cooligans ask them are the Total Soccer Show guys here <laughs> I will I don't know what I will give people but I, I will give people something if for the number of people that do that <laughs> ask them do you know Daryl and Taylor that would be my favourite thing and please record it <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to today's? I really want that to happen. Yeah. Really Shall we move on to today's scouting network mm-hmm. updates? We have all kinds of updates from the Total Soccer Show scouting network. I see Serge Gnabry's name. Mm-hmm. Is he doing well or is he doing poorly? Oh, he's doing well. That. He's doing well. Uh, this one is from uh, Guy Yedwab, which was sent, uh, I believe, just after the international break. Uh, but it's about Serge Gnabry, as you said, the 23-year-old German wide forward for Bayern Munich. Uh, over the last international break, Gnabry scored his second national team hat trick, decent, uh, putting Northern Ireland to the sword. His first two goals 
showcased his intelligence in finding space. The third involved out-muscling an opposition center back. This performance brings his tally to 13 goals in 13 national uh, team appearances. Also decent. Not bad, Serge. I then watched uh, him play for Bayern Munich this past weekend. And I forget who the Fox Sports uh, or Fox Soccer commentator was, FS1 commentator was. Um, but he started the game calling him Serge Gnabry and yeah. ended it calling him Serge Gnabry. Yeah. And it really did not help me with knowing which one of those is correct. I mean, I sympathize. Yes. I sympathize with that comment. Yes. Uh, All I can assume is that if he started with one and finished with another, the one he finished with was maybe he got a, a producer's uh, word in his ear of, it's Gnabry. I'm not sure Fox Sports is paying that much attention. That could also be. <laughs> Ed, Ritter could is also scouting, be Ed Ritter is scouting Ben Nines, the mm-hmm. 19-year-old American attacker for the New York Red Bulls. This is kind of a season wrap-up, I believe, from Ed. Um, Ed says it was a tough season for Ben Mines. He had several minor injuries that kept him off the field, and he made zero first-team appearances. He's very bad after he, like, he started 2018 by starting and scoring, right? Yeah. Um, he only played the full 90 for Red Bulls two once in eight starts, and he struggled to make an impact on the pitch. All that being said, roster decisions have been announced, and Ben is still a first-team, homegrown player. With a major clear-out at the Red Bulls, he will have a chance to show that he can contribute to the first team in 2020. All right, best of luck to Ben Mines, and thank you to Josh Dollar for scouting Blake Bodley, the 21-year-old American midfielder for the University of Washington. Blake won the Pac-12 Player of the Year award. He scored 10 goals, uh... He scored 10 goals, scored or assisted in 12 of the 16 games, and had four game-winning goals en route to helping Washington clinch a first-round bye. All in all, a great year for the young man. Well done, Blake Bodily. That is an excellent name as well. Um, Danny Macaga is scouting Oliver Batista Maia, the mm-hmm. 18-year-old Brazilian-German winger for Bayern Munich. Danny says, Bayern manager Hansi Flick promoted Batista Maia and three other academy products to the senior team, saying, quote, we're convinced that these boys will develop in the best way if they train with the best players, unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Imhoff scouting. Chris Richards not included in that group. I don't care for that. Me neither. I no longer like Oliver Batista Meyer because of that. <laughs> he took Chris Richards' spot, obviously, even though he's a winger and Chris Richards <laughs> is a center back. It still works that way, Daryl. I works agree. That way. I agree. Nick Imhoff scouting Emmanuel Sabi, the 21-year-old American winger for Holbro. Uh, Sabi followed up his five-minute cameo with the USU 23s by putting in another solid effort for Holbro. He drew a penalty in the 30th minute after being taken down from behind by a defender, then popping up and being taken down in the box by a second defender. He took the penalty which was saved, so that's not great, but it rebounded into a teammate's path who then scored, which uh, Nick is inclined to give as an MLS assist. I guess? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Let's give it to him. (laughs) Katie Sutton is scouting the uber-talented Katie Cousins, Mm -hmm. 22-year-old American midfielder for the University of Tennessee. Um, Katie says Katie Cousins Mm -hmm. had surgery last week on her lower leg or ankle. Um, No official word on how... I hope the doctor knew. No official (laughs) word on how long she will be out of training or if this will impact her NWSL draft prospects. So at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore, I believe there won't be an MLS draft. It's going to be replaced by a conference call. Good decision, mm-hmm. I think. But I think there will be an NWSL there draft will. because yes. the NWSL draft still makes sense. It still does. Yeah. It's, it matters and is useful. Uh, Brian Hoysa scouting Serginio Dest, 19-year-old American, right back for IX. Never heard of him. And also love not having to say Dutch American. I'm just saying American <laughs> from now on. Dest subbed on in the 67th minute of IX's 4-1 win over Heracles and got an assist on the fourth goal as Huntelaar deflected his shot in. Minutes later, Dest was at fault for Heracles' lone goal after failing to collect a ball in the back line and being burned down the field by Heracles forward, who scored on the breakaway after dispossessing and outrunning Dest. I love the disrespect for the Heracles forward. Yes. That Brian doesn't no name. name. <laughs> no name for him. Well, that's fine. We can handle a few mistakes from a 19-year-old to junior Dest, right? I suppose. 
Um, Chris Goodwin is scouting McKinsey Gaines. Remember McKinsey Gaines? Vaguely. 21-year-old American midfielder for Sonnenhof Grosserpack. Uh-huh. Um, well done, by the way. Few, well, Do you we, know that team? No. I mean, we don't even know that that was correct, right? I just Again, you just got to sound confident and well, then you, don't apologize. You after. did. That's why I was like, did, does Daryl have some passing familiarity with that team no, that I'm, I'm not, not even saying because I cannot say it? No, I've bluffed my way. Sonnenhof Grosserpack. All through these years. Well done, sir. Over the past few years, uh-huh. Gaines has moved around a lot. Um, he's like a Man United forward. Um, he's gone from the Wolfsburg U19s to SV Darmstadt 98 to FS. V Zwickau mm-hmm. oh, my confidence failed me it there. Did, it just did. reading letters my <laughs> confidence failed me um, back to SV Darmstadt 98 to Sonnenhof Grosserpach in the third division mm-hmm. the 21 year old has been struggling to get playing time and news on gains is limited however this weekend he was subbed down in the 62nd minute in Sonnenhof's 2-1 loss which is at least something I didn't know that you would be reading this, but I, I am now really happy with how many times that team name appeared yeah, in the body of this lot. one, and I'm guessing it's you did It's a didn't. lot of syllables for one team. All right, I've got a tough one, so uh, be quiet so I can focus. Uh, Tom Gaffney is scouting James Sands. Right. Nailed it. 19-year-old American uh, defensive midfielder slash center back for NYCFC. James is training this offseason with Bundesliga side Fortuna Dusseldorf. Sands is coming off what looked to be a breakout season with NYCFC where he earned a starting role but was derailed by multiple injuries. He will not have to compete for playing time with fellow American Keaton Parks next season as Parks is slated to return to Benfica in December. Could still be a, a permanent deal. We'll see what happens there. Is there any chance Sands goes to Dusseldorf? Is this like a... like? Train with us, and if you impress us, maybe we sign you. I'm, I'm asking to, you. I know you don't know. But. I'm inclined to say yes because I feel like we can. Can we do a yeah. behind the curtain for a moment yeah, and yeah. say that like we we were in like the kind of uh, group interview with Lutz Fannenstiel, Fannenstiel, yeah, right? uh, who is their sporting director, and he talked about how because they have Alfredo Morales, they have Zach Steffen, how and like we're asked. He was asked several questions about like developing American talent. Does he see American talent as a way like an untapped market? And he said like, yeah, we've got another one coming over after the season ends. So then you and I were kind of going through the list of like, yeah. Is it, who is it? Is it? Is it? Uh, I put I put my money on Reggie Cannon. We were, and then maybe Paxton Pomacall was the yeah. other one, but I think he had just ruled himself out for some reason. But so it did sound like it wasn't just a player coming over to get some minutes. I think it was a player coming over to see how well he fit in. Yeah. So I guess if it goes, if you basically if James Sands go goes back, I'm going to say that that means the trial did not go particularly well. Okay. <laughs> We'll keep an eye on that. Yeah. Then. Um, final scouting mm-hmm. report is from Russell Findlay. Is it final one? Yep. It is. Scouting Eric Palmer Brown, EPB, the 22 year old American defender um, on loan at Austria Vienne from Manchester City. Mm-hmm. You always forget EPB is a Man City player. Weird, right? Um, Eric Palmer Brown, Fussell says, Eric Palmer Brown has started seven of the last nine games for Austria Vienne, um, who have only given up two goals in the games in which he has started. In the two games in which he didn't, Vienne gave up five goals. So make of that what you will. I, I will. Can. If you pause for a moment, it is strange to think about the the number of Americans that Manchester City have employed in mm-hmm. recent memory. Because are you including mixed discrude? That's the one. <laughs> that's the really weird that one's one. tenuous. It really is. Yeah. it really is. That one's tenuous. <laughs> I he, he's left there, right? He's not still like on loan. He's in Korea. He's in Korea, but yeah. is he is he on loan in Korea or is he like know. allowed to leave? Yeah, and I don't I don't know who owns his contract rights or what's uh, going on. I assume he's he's in South Korea, right? So he's allowed to leave. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But if you were in North Korea, you would assume that that hadn't gone I mean, according to plan? Yeah, he did done something very wrong. Yep. Yeah. Yep, he yep, accidentally yep. dribbled into the uh, demilitarized zone. 
Don't do that. It's a heavy touch, mate. Don't do that. (laughs) I mean, let that ball go. It's in keeping. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But thank you to everyone who sent in uh, those scouting reports. We greatly appreciate it. We've got a few more to get to, which we will try to do either tomorrow or early next week. Yeah, only a few. We'll be back tomorrow Mm. with a listener questions special, Um, and I'll be. So I'm back in town, by the way. I've been away for a week. I've been back in the UK. Uh, for my for my birthday, uh, I didn't to even see notice. the family. Uh, yeah, I mean the shows were good. I just me. assumed you were very quiet during the interview. That's all. <laughs> like Daryl, anything? I put on all a heavy. Right. I put on a heavy German accent. <laughs> in in the future, I do want to like lean into the absurdist comedy of it all and just like pause for a moment to be like, Daryl, any questions? All right, I guess Daryl's got nothing. Uh, that's it for the show. I'm sure that joke won't get old. If you nah, not it. at all. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> Our apologies to Matt Damon. We didn't have time. <laughs> um, all right, Taylor Rockwell. Look how that worked out. Yeah, that, that did work out. Um, so we'll be back tomorrow with a listener questions special. Mm-hmm. If you would like to support the show, totalsockshow.com slash join. You can join the Scouting Network. Um, if you subscribe at $10 a month or more, we guarantee to answer one question per month, mm-hmm. unless the questions are terrible. But most of the questions we get are really, really good. Yeah. And apologies to Ernie Stewart. We didn't have time <laughs> to get to him today. But maybe next time. Maybe next show. He would not be a great interview. He wouldn't give us anything to work with. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was I was scrambling to think of somebody that I would actually want to talk to. Yeah, yeah. That would be a draw. I still would want to get Greg Berhalter and mm-hmm. really nail him down on some stuff. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe some other time. But he's not going to like hijack the show and have shenanigans with us the way Matt Damon does. That's I don't know true. who that person would be. Yeah. Jimmy we'll, Conrad. We'll keep thinking about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. It is Jimmy Conrad. <laughs> All right, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>